Gotta do Halloween right. You gotta celebrate it right. That's why we go to Horror Nights. Baby. Yeah, which we did. We did uh, go was to it three, three weeks ago. Yes, we did. Uh, we went to uh, Halloween Horror Nights yes. in in Hollywood. Hollywood. And so much fun. It was so much fun. So and then we fun. also went to uh, Disneyland. Little, little Disney, little, little Star Wars action. Little, little bros Disney trip. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it was. <laughs> it totally was. Uh, it was. It was a good time, man. Yeah. I love I love me some Horror Nights. I uh, just wh- appreciate the aesthetic. appreciate the houses and the mazes. We've talked about that on here before. But yeah. yeah. It was just nice to be back. Last year, it I was. went by myself oh, uh, right. and filmed it for like a media thing. That's and right. it was nice to have a homie with you. Actually, we had a couple friends with us. I know. Uh, that would have been cool, with too. Us, so yeah. uh, it, it was super fun. It really was. But, uh, you know... Uh, I've I've started because last time we went to Universal, Universal Studios was the first time I'd ever been. We did like a full day, and this one we just kind of went for the evening instead. But we still kind of hit up like the Transformers ride and and, so, and, some, and Harry did the Potter mu- did the Mummy and Jurassic Park. Yeah, and I've just I've realized that I think I really like Universal Studios like quite a lot. Some, and it's the and best. Horror Nights is a ton of fun too. Like you said, the the craft that's put into the houses. I mm-hmm. think this is a year that I, I think it finally clicked with me a little bit. And you said that after the trip too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that's it, cool. It, I like to hear that. It's totally the case. Totally the case. Um, I mean, there were some that were definitely a little underwhelming, for sure. <laughs> I mean, they there were a couple where you're like, well, someone called off sick. You know, like, right, there are a lot right. of boo holes that were, like, not filled yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah. right. But the, the ones that were good were really, really good. Yes, they were. Um, well, was, the best was the Scarecrow one, right? Yeah, Scarecrow was really good. Was and then The weekend uh, was a blast. The the weekend one was my favorite one. It for, was For, like, fun. a few reasons. One, it was, like, it was very weird. I mean, you know, you know this, obviously. But, uh, you know, you go through, and it, it's got kind of, like, this. A little uh, spoiler action if you're going yeah, to yeah. Four Nights. It's, it, it you have two weeks. Weeks to go, but yeah, yeah, you're fine. Yeah, but a, a few spoilers. I won't get too deep into it, but it kind of has this aesthetic of um, like plastic surgery and body horror yeah, and stuff so like creepy, that. Man. And you kind of go, you, you go through it. The and club you, like, scenes. The club stuff. You go through like the same club multiple times. It has like a different scene set up yeah, in it. And cool. we even went through it more than once. And and once there was one of the rooms that was actually had different stuff going on than mm-hmm. the first time we went through it. Yeah, they have like a little, you know, a 15 second reset uh, yeah. like play that they do on the stage. Yeah. So sometimes you catch it if you're in the right part of the conga line. Yeah. And then sometimes <laughs> you don't, you know, right. like sometimes you miss it. You get Sometimes you get the scare. Sometimes you right, don't. Right. I think my favorite part of horror nights is, and this is totally going to ruin like the whole uh, haunting vibe but uh, i love watching someone get scared in front of me oh my and God, i love so i love watching the person go back into their boo hole and then you can see their mask looking at the the monitor the monitor yeah because yeah, there's yeah, yeah. cameras set up so they don't you know so they don't have, like yeah. have to like be poking out like their eyes like right. hey, who's next it's so fun like i'm just like look he's looking at the little light <laughs> i love it. i love it when you have like a couple behind you and then like the the woman gets really scared and like runs into the back of you oh it's so good yeah <laughs> like, i'll save you if your boyfriend can't do it yeah, I remember the people are like walk faster. We're like we are enjoying this. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're we're gonna take our time. You know that is the uh, that is the best part about a fast pass. Well, I will never know. do it where we just stand no. in the in the general lines. I I haven't been to Universal or I guess Disney's a little different these days. But I haven't been to Universal in probably three years where I haven't had a fast pass. I mean yeah. that's the only way you can. I would do it. you know if yeah if you have if you have the money and can do yeah. it like it's it's really the the only way. Yeah, unless do you're doing like a two it. or three day trip there. Yeah, um, you need. But I don't want to spend like an entire third of that no. standing in line. No, you know? absolutely not. I just get get in, get out. Maybe right? probably even more than that, honestly. You know what's funny is we're sitting here talking about Horror Nights, and 
Welcome back. Yeah, welcome back, everybody. Wow. Know it's been a little while, but uh, we're back. We're here, and we still love you. Yes, we do. <laughs> I, was thinking, I was thinking about that the other day. I'm like, I just love our audience. Yeah. <laughs> Is that uh, what you what's think his, What's his name? <laughs> <laughs> what's what's that person? One person yeah, what's that guy's name? <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we're, we're back. Uh, we promised uh, last we time. Promised a little history episode. Promised a little history episode. We're going to do that after we talk about it. a couple more things. But Yeah, I'm excited to be back in the studio. It's super fun to do this. I'm kind of, I feel almost rusty. I, I feel a bit rusty too, but yeah. it's like a bike. So before we get into the history, which you and I have done some extensive research yep. over the last couple of weeks, well, yep. we've had, we've had months yeah. uh, to do this, <laughs> but I do want to talk about a couple more things before yes. we get into this history yeah. that Being we Halloween. There's other yes. things. That I mean, have, yeah. last year we did, you know, we did a pre-Halloween even earlier this year yeah, we did. and now we're close to Halloween and we're still doing this history episode. Yeah. We'll get more into that after we go through the history and, and what's coming up for the podcast, but I do want to go over what we saw in yeah. theaters <laughs> because it was something I'll uh, tell you it was what. something so i've seen pearl and it was amazing if i'm not going to give you a, a review on pearl because aaron has not seen it yet yeah hopefully going uh tonight or tomorrow nice. to, to finally see it i've been really excited because i loved x i thought x was awesome oh, dude, and this being just in, in like the x universe oh, i'm very it, excited as well as for expands the expands the x universe and really builds a lot it's just different. It mocks a lot of classic films and, you know, a mocking Technicolor. It makes X look like the, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, really? Kind of makes so it's a little more, like little more feels, polished. Yeah. So it's a style. little, just a different, just, huh, just different. When I'm excited because he has a, a sequel set in the same universe. And you'll see um, a little bit of that. Hang out after the credits. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, so. I saw, I saw a quick little teaser online for it, but they, I don't think they've shot much of anything yet. I think probably so, what you saw is what I've seen. Probably. We'll, yeah. talk, we'll talk about it later so we don't yeah. accidentally spoil anything. But, but but so we, I saw Pearl. I want you to go see that, and then yep. we'll, uh, maybe we can talk about that sometime. But I want to talk about Terrifier. Two. Yeah, Terrifier Two. There was four days out of I think the United States that this was put into theaters, yeah. Thursday to Sunday, and you and I caught it on our Thursday to Saturday, and and we caught it on the very last showing in Salt Lake at like ten o'clock. Yeah, on it was like Saturday. ten o'clock at night. Well, and I, for a little bit of context, had not seen the first one, so I watched yes. that just like a couple hours before Ugh, I watched the second too one. Too much gore. So if you don't know anything about Terrifier, it's Damien Leone. He's a writer, director, and most he's most known for his prosthetic work. Yeah, yeah, he does really good like uh, uh, visual gore effects, stuff like that, and so just over the, the top, like extreme, like the kills in oh these gosh. movies are so beyond anything I've ever seen or heard of like, heard. like you know like, i mean they're they're unreal and they're just and they just go on and on and on and just every every time like it starts with one thing and then it goes deeper yeah. and deeper and splattier and grosser and it, gorier and off more it's awful, just awful. And it's just like i looked over you and i'm like oh my god <laughs> well what's fun is like I'm like, oh, I'm excited to see like these movies. To me, there's such a disconnect with real life. It's very Absolutely. fake, right? Because it's because so, so, it's so over the yeah, top. Like yeah. you kind of stop seeing it as, as like real. the narrative. Yeah. And, yeah, and you start seeing the what's, especially being filmmakers, we kind of yeah. see what's like behind the curtain a little bit more. I think than some people some people do for sure. You get like the C storyline, and then you yeah. get like completely know that the rest of this movie is fake. Where yeah, there's just such a disconnect where you're it's tolerable to watch. Yeah, but and, and the, in fact, at times I had a, a lot of fun with some of the terrible acting and terrible story yeah. decisions. <laughs> line reading <laughs> the line that whole, the whole scene was incredible but my favorite character if so if the you guys mom. do see it uh, the, these kids mom was i mean most people made fun of her because she was a bad actor but she, her acting was so like New she Jersey. was like she was a concerned kind of upset mom yeah but she had it dialed up to a 13 she was like and i, I consulted my chart which meant those mob mob wife levels of acting yeah, yeah. Like, yeah that's what like, you again with this fucking book <laughs> <Yeah>. she, <laughs> she was so funny dude you're right it was so funny i you was having a blast whenever she was on screen 
mean, you're like, damn, director told her to take it up to sergeant, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I, oh, I, I think uh, yeah, when we Lieutenant. watched it, I said prison guard. Prison guard, yeah. <laughs> I was laughing so hard. I was like, oh dude, God. what is that chick's deal? Oh, it was so funny, though. That, I loved That movie, man. But, man. It was way too long. But, it was, uh, it was I had long. a blast it with long. it. It was yeah. fun going to see it. I feel like I've gotten my fix in already from horror movies, and it's October 12th. That's yeah, we're recording this. That's um, kind of how I feel too. I mean, I'm I'm not averse to to gore. Like I'm not like, oh, gross, it makes me feel bad or anything like that. No, because you know, like like we said, we kind of see what's behind the curtain a little bit more. But uh, I think this early on, especially having watched uh, the first Terrifier and then Terrifier two in the That's same a day, lot. Uh, I think That's I think I've flesh. I've like kind of reached my gore limit for right now. Well, you know, I, I think just found myself like, and not not that I like I dislike it. It's just I've just got my I've just hit my limit for now. Yeah. Well, you know? and I'm watching Dahmer too, so oh, I am yeah. just maxed just out. Like, I'm just, it's so funny because you're watching. And you're like, this is great. I'm desensitized. And then you go lay down and you're like, I guess I'll sleep. Yeah, I'll <laughs> close your eyes. And, <laughs> and so I was the same way. I, last night I decided I was going to watch something different. I'm like, I need to watch uh, Cleanse My Palate. It was like some, some some really slow like art movies. Yeah. And so I put on this one uh, called The Card Counter with Oscar Isaac. Oh, it's uh, written directed by Paul Schrader. And uh, most people would know Paul Schrader from writing Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his last movie was, I think it was his last movie, it was called First Reformed with Ethan Hawke, which is a, a, a really cool movie. Definitely something that kind of like sets you on edge a little bit, oh. but not like super gory or anything like that. So I was watching the card counter, like this very slow movie about like this uh, ex inmate who learned how to count cards and is going and winning money from casinos and living like this nomadic life. And then boom, in the middle of it, turns out he's a guard from the Abu Ghraib prison in uh, Iraq where they were like torturing people and stuff like that. And they had scenes in there. I'm like, I can't get away from torture. I tried. Because it's like every movie has torture now. <laughs> just like, yeah. no, it's like, it's like what I'm saying. You're desensitized to yeah. it. And then when you see something real that references like war or something yeah. real, you're like, eh. And you're like, you know, I blame, um, uh, was a birth of a nation for me. It was the first like twelve real feature length like uh, film stack uh, of VHSs. Yes, yeah, stack of VHS. Yeah, it's like a like the Titanic a double yeah. VHS uh, box, but like five of them. Yeah, and then you lose the first one, so you can only watch the second half. <laughs> <laughs> the good, the good part. <laughs> oh no, I feel like that's a good segue though. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I feel like you're right. Go see, uh, go see Terrifier too. If if you know it's not your thing, you know it's not your thing. <laughs> like everybody, I was thinking about that. I'm like, oh, I wonder if anybody in this theater that's like surprised by this i'm like nah anyone that's here knows what they're getting into for sure but i mean just all you have to do is say the name terrifier no normies is gonna be like sure i'll go check it out see what that's all about well, it, it started <laughs> as like a short and then yeah. it started out as like an idea and then it became its first movie yeah and, you know it's 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 come a long way but everyone that's now this is how it started yeah a little disclaimer here yeah uh history is very broad and it's uh it's how you look at it and it can even be subjective at times oh yeah um yeah i feel like the history that aaron and i have done uh, after we sat down and put our notes together we realized that this was stuff that started the industry out and the stuff that we found most interesting. And that applies to maybe uh, like more specifically like our crafts. Yeah. So like a little bit of editing stuff, some some narrative stuff, like how, how, how the modern narrative kind of evolved from these early films. Talk a little bit about the business side as far as just those eras. Which is just as important. It still is. It is. If not more important, you know, but the camera shaped, um, the time, the time shaped, the editing, the editing shaped the audience. So there's this, there is this timeline. We're probably going to end this, thing at around the around the 1970s and the reason we're doing that is because 
we kind of know what happened after that. Yeah, you everybody's can, fairly familiar yeah, with. Just hop like, into Halloween, and yeah. you can start from there. Yeah, like like everybody knows Jaws yes. forward, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And maybe not from a technical standpoint, yeah, but yeah. cinematically in like a Hollywood, you era understand standpoint. like the landscape right. and like what what the film industry was around then. Right, and yeah. that being said, doing all of this research, I realized how much I did not know. Yeah, well, there's so much. I mean, you could so you, there's so much. We could do four full seasons on on film history and like barely yep. scratch the surface. There's so much, and that, yep. that's why we narrowed it down to like these things that we find the most interesting, the things that apply most to what we specifically do. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I want to talk really quick about how yes. the camera was kind of invented. We kind of got into like a brief teaser of that on the last episode. Yeah, yeah. And then we talk about film, talk about the Lumiere brothers. And then I want to go into Soviet montage theory, yeah. that French new wave. We can go into the Paramount case later. That's all down the line. So camera history, we talked about this last time, Edward Moybridge and the moving horse image, Sally at a gallop. You and I discussed this a lot recently because yeah. of Nope yeah. and how it brought it back up, which I thought was freaking beautiful. It was such a cool way to like incorporate yeah. film history into this modern film and like into the, like it mattered to the characters. It mattered to like thematically to the rest of the movie as well. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was a very, a very cool way to incorporate it. Yeah. So he, you know, he filmed a horse rider, Sally at a gallop and his point was to take photographs to where all of the legs were off the ground. Therefore, taking multiple images he created once he flipped them back and forth he said wow this uh, it looks like he's moving it's it's a frame per time right can you imagine just, just, just like w- figuring that out yeah it's, it's wild yeah. to anybody to figure out and that there was such a long period of history yes. where nobody right understood it, that it's yeah. important to uh, realize too that this is the late 1800s yeah. but these are photographs still yeah we're, we're not talking about photography here photography camera has been out for a little bit at this right. point not very long but just long enough for edward to fuck things up and come <laughs> in and, and be like guess what y'all yeah get on that horse and we're gonna make this baby move so you gotta remember these were just photos but they what they realized what the four legs on the horse did was it, it provided a easy source of movement and it, totally. it, it made them look like they were moving in place essentially right right, right? when i think a, a horse is a really good subject as well because of the way the legs move since all four like move yeah. independently it's like a other. robot almost yeah it's, it's really easy to but a horse it's something that feels very real when you look at it because yep. of the way it moves i think is what i'm trying to say no absolutely yeah. so here we are we're you know we're still in the late 1800s uh and now we have celluloid film mm-hmm. right the problem with celluloid film it was created by thomas edison so now we have all these amazing things like sally at a gallop on film and we have all of these other films coming in and these play style films that we'll get into yeah. with more detail here in a second but the problem was, is you had to put it into a kinetoscope to view it. Right. right. Uh, which yeah, is basically. Like they didn't have like streaming boxes. They didn't have Apple TVs yeah, or anything like that. It's not a projector yet. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's no right. where, there's no way to, to see this in a larger format. Right. right? It, it stayed about the same size as your eyepiece did once you shot the image. Right. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, so you had to look back into that and it was technically yep. the same thing. It, it blew it up. It magnified it. Yep. Right. So a mass audience was not possible mm-hmm. with celluloid film. Well, so the Lumiere brothers, they created the, ci- the cinematograph, right? Cinematograph. Cinematograph. Cinnamon, the cinnamon toast crunch. The cinnamon toast. They created the cinnamon toast crunch. Exactly. I love them. Uh, <laughs> they created the cinematograph. Cin- I can't say it. Cinematograph. Cinematograph. Yeah. Okay. So they created the cinematograph, which basically allowed them to now project this film. Right. So we don't ever have to go back to the kinetoscope and look back into it. Yep. And now, boom, boom, we have an audience. Now a mass audience can watch yep. it, right? Now more heads can fit into the room. Yep. They soon learned that a silver and white screen would be the best way to project that. Mm. The problem was they had these mass audiences and theaters were getting built is they were getting bored. Yeah. Well, I mean, because at this point, it was basically a parlor trick. It is. You know, they're showing just like, like slices of life, people walking around, right. maybe someone juggling, something sure. like that. It's not a sor- that is not a sourced example. <laughs> but, <laughs> but all these uh, early films, they were just these, these very simple vignettes with people doing simple tasks, you know, little pieces of life. And 
Juggling. Juggling. <laughs> Juggling. Like you said, that's where audiences started to get a little bit bored because there wasn't really anything engaging about them. Once you're past like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah I mean, how long do you look at a painting for? Sure. Exactly. Yeah. So what you need is you need more of a story. And so one of the things that, I, uh, that I'm that i very interested in is kind of the evolution of narrative and how, how did we get to the point where we're at now where we have these very complex narratives right. in film. And how did that start from just like I said, this this simple you know parlor trick sort of thing? Well, and one of the one of the the first most important movie in terms of evolving narrative is a trip to the moon. Yeah, and most of you probably have seen something from that. It's got that very iconic shot of like a the moon, moon with his face, and then like the cup the capsule like in his eye. What's interesting about it is that it's, so it's a 12, 12 minute short film and it has an actual narrative arc to it. And wh mm -hmm. what I think is cool is that, is that the first, and I'm a big sci-fi fan is that the, this first like major narrative, you know, film was a sci-fi movie. Like, yeah. I think that's really cool. It had that's special crazy. effects and they had no idea. Yeah, and they had no. They doing. Yeah, they they had, they had no idea. Um, it, but it, it was the same thing. It was basically set up like a play. You know, you have right. these big big props, actors, but it's only made up of probably I didn't count exactly, but like twelve or thirteen shots, something like that. And they're just these wide shots where kind of all the action's happening within the scene. Uh, you know, there's there's no audio yet. It's like setting course. up your wide shot for a stage play, yeah. and then it doesn't cut. Yeah, they're they're basically it's basically, basically shooting a stage play. Yeah, but having that narrative in there. George, George Melier, by the way, was the director. Right. He, he 1902. 1902. He realized that audiences need um, a, a bit more of, of a narrative to kind of hold on to, to keep their interest. And so, so as we did, it's based on the Jules Verne novel. So it was a narrative that people already knew about. People already knew about it. They already enjoyed. And so he had the idea to, to, to bring that to a, to a bigger screen. And so clearly very well received. It became like a huge, huge hit. But it did a, it did so many firsts beyond just the, the narrative. I mean, it it had some of the, you know, the first special effects used in a narrative film as well. You know, the hard cuts with things appearing, disappearing. Like when they go to the moon, like there's these little moon creatures. And right. they, like, they like appear and disappear in like puffs of smoke and stuff like that. Totally. You know, and it's a very, it's a very cool looking film. I mean, cool enough that I don't know if... Uh, if, if anybody's old enough to be a big fan of uh, Smashing Pumpkins back in the '90s, um, the the video tonight. for tonight, yeah, the video for tonight tonight was tonight. straight based off of like that look and style and feel. And as a matter of fact, the impact gonna be tonight. Fucking love Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, so do I. I love Smashing Pumpkins. And that was like, I think that was the first album of theirs that I like really got into too. Yeah. But yeah, the the art direction and the production design and everything is very clearly based on a trip to the moon, including even that you know super famous shot of the moon with the capsule in its eye. Yes. Yeah. A very interesting first major narrative step in in uh, trip to the moon uh, i ran across a trip to the moon i never saw this in film school or anything like that i actually never had heard about it which is concerning uh to the curriculum <laughs> I, I i did run across this on netflix about eight years ago and i watched it and i knew it was an early film i did not understand how early and i didn't understand the impact that it had until yeah. i started doing research but i'm so glad that I sat down and spent the, what was it, 12, 13 minutes long yeah. uh, watching it yeah. uh, because they had remastered it and done it. And I just remember being like, it was almost like creepy. I oh, mean, it, totally, it totally has kind of a creepy vibe. It, Absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. And I feel like sometimes even new movies are that way, right? It's like, man, yeah. this is, this is going to be a classic, but it's not, it's going to take 10 years. Yeah. Th th um, that's what I've realized yeah. with most films. Like it's you don't understand their greatness. Most of the time you don't understand their greatness until several years have gone by. Right. Um, it takes time for it to kind of soak into the social consciousness and understand what it is. Right. You need the context and, and context is not just before it's also after. And context isn't just a trailer or a teaser these right. days either. Right. 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 Like, it's like what effect did it have on you know 
film director. as a whole, yes. the director. So, sometimes uh, pe- that takes people's time, thoughts. though, right? It absolutely does. Like, I mean, there's so many movies that, that are misunderstood when they initially come out. And then over time, as pe- more people discover them and start you know, sharing with their friends and right. stuff like that, they start to understand the, the impact of these films. Big and Mama's what, House. And what actually means, just like Big Mama's House. Uh, <laughs> house, house Party. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I'm, totally, I'm totally kidding. I, I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'll say one, one other quick note about this that I think um, is, is interesting. One of the, since starting to direct things, um, one of the things that I've had to learn the most about and try and work with and realize how important it is, is blocking your actors. Yeah. And since it was shot all like a stage play, every single uh, actor on stage had to be, you know, blocked in an interesting way. When you watch it, you can tell like, well, the, a lot of the technical details and stuff, like obviously look very dated yeah. as, as, as does the blocking, you can see the amount of effort and detail put into the blocking. For I'm sure. so, Cause sometimes there's like 30 people on the stage, like yep. in these big groups yelling at each other and everybody's like going. No, there are like 30 people on the stage yeah. at one point. Yeah. In, like, second act or yeah. whatever yeah and, and you you know it's so hot in there oh my god it has like because the well, they light have, well they didn't have air conditioning I mean, that's what i well although it was also in france uh okay. george melier was was french and so but i mean that doesn't mean it wasn't i mean just no, all for that sure. body heat in the and back then they wore all those thick clothes and wigs and stuff yeah 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 <laughs> so yeah it probably was hot so but, i watched a great train robbery right before we yeah, uh, started recording. Yeah, luckily it's only twelve minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> I, I skimmed it because I there wasn't any there, dialogue. You know, I mean, and also they have these scenes. Like again, I think it's like only twelve or thirteen shots in the entire well, movie. It, it, and they so tie, they, they tie the guy up for five minutes. Yeah, yeah, they uh, spend like five minutes. Yeah, but that's another thing that we've just like I think learned over time pacing. is what to like. Yeah, pacing, what not to include, and you don't need to see the entirety of somebody getting tied up. Like now yeah. we can show like starting to tie them up, and then we can see them tied up, and that's totally fine. <laughs> yeah, we know what time is done, right? Right, right. We're, yeah, we, we understand that familiar. audiences can process those time jumps and gaps now, whereas yeah. they, they probably couldn't before. There's such they a new, absolutely new medium. And we'll talk yeah. about that here in a second. Yeah, they would just be like, what happened? Yeah. Uh, where did all that time go? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Great Train Robbery um, is, is a very interesting one. It's kind of, to American film, what a trip to the moon was for for film in general. Yeah. So it was a, it was the first creative American film because again before this uh, a lot of it had just been you know very very basic vignettes, some simple stuff. And so this one was uh, kind of the first narrative film. And of course, great great for me and very uh, understandable from America that it was a crime film because that's just kind of how America that's just rolls. How you roll? Yeah. yeah, that's how I roll. That's how how America seems to roll. We love we love our crime stuff. Birth of a nation, baby. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> don't even get me started. Wait, so, what what was so cool about it? Again, it was it was shot very similarly to a. a trip to the moon you know mostly these wide shots um kind of these long takes you know only 12 or 13 shots static in the image film. very static images with people moving around in them. sorry static but, camera movement i should say yeah static camera movement but one of the things they did that was very they did a couple things very interestingly so they used mad effects so like you'd have this stage which was the um like the train station and you'd see the train outside the window but obviously it's it's on a stage so they used mad effects i i can't say for sure that i know if they use like rear projection or i believe that's probably what it was had probably I don't, I don't really know another way that you could, because you especially can't, back then they didn't. You have, can't cut was, the little window out of every piece of film right. strip. You know what I mean? Right. Well, so, I mean maybe. I don't know. That, that, that might have been how they used yeah. to. Honestly, that's a gap in my no, no pun intended gap in my knowledge with this. Like I'm not sure yeah. if they actually. And there might have been a film process where sure. they were able to use a certain. Uh, if uh, anyone shade can or tell us, let us. Yeah, know. please let us how know. Did, I mean, we could probably Google it and find out. But they also 
they also um, used uh, location since it was, you know, a train robbery. Yeah, so that's what I kind of wanted to build on was like, yeah. it was kind of like one of the first times they shot outside. Yeah, they shot outside. They shot yeah. with moving trains. They, you know, it, it, and I think that's part of the um, appeal to audiences is it was a little more gritty and realistic than they yeah. had been used to seeing well, And it was like com- kind of completely different. Can yeah. we talk about the very last shot? Yeah, the very last shot was is interesting because so it, this whole narrative goes along and it's funny because it's actually pretty disconnected from the from the narrative. From what I was it totally reading, is, but it's, yeah, so totally. impactful. No, it's very, it's very cool. Well, and uh, again, you know, audiences weren't savvy the way they are now. And also the narratives were still being constructed and how they worked. And so there's this last shot, which I actually found interesting um, when I was reading about this. I didn't know this. Uh, it was apparently up to um, the theater or projectionist where they wanted to put that shot. So sometimes oh, cool. it would play before it. Sometimes it'd be after it. Oh, I see. Um, yeah. And so what it, what it is, you know, they go through, they rob this train, they get the money, they get, you know, killed by the cops. And then it like cuts to this like portrait style shot of one of the, one of the bandits and he holds up his gun, points it directly. He's looking directly at the screen. And he points the gun directly at the screen and fires a couple of shots. And that freaked people out because that they're was like, yo, that's us. There's another example of that. I don't remember the specifics of what it was, but there was one of the early, um, like kind of vignettes that was shot was a train that was coming directly at the camera. Oh, I remember that. And that freaked people out too. Yeah, they, they like started yeah. like dodging and like screaming yeah. and stuff. I remember yeah. reading about yeah. that and, and seeing that in the, when we were doing research. Yeah, so these other narrative tricks and you know, fourth wall breaking is very mm-hmm. much a norm. I mean, like literally right now, it, <laughs> not really much of a comparison in terms of what they are, but uh, the She-Hulk series that's on is full, is full of fourth wall breaks. Like she's constantly turning to the camera and like talking about yeah. it being a show and like where the plots go. I love and that. Stuff like I that. love that stuff. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of like, like Wolf of Wall Street a little bit. Totally, yeah. Like when he's walking through his office like yo i like to take all these drugs because it does yeah th- yeah, it's, yeah it's so fun exactly it's a technique Not that's drugs, still but so what i mean uh, <laughs> yeah uh, him on drugs was hilarious <laughs> it was amazing <laughs> but it's, it's still a technique that's so widely used um you know it, and this was the first example of it being used in a narrative film yeah yeah it's one that you like you know you see clips from but i was glad that i got to sit down and kind of skim through it here those little things, those little shots, the trip to the moon with just that style of influence, influencing mm-hmm. the music video. Mm-hmm. And then that gritty style, which we still get today. Like yeah. how often are directors and DPs going back to film these days because they want a look, gritty look? Totally. I mean, the great train robbery created that. Yeah. Uh, how many times in She-Hulk are they cr- breaking the fourth wall? Right. The where great it came train from. robbery where it came is from. where it came from. These, so, are the, these are the people that invented the film language that we still follow today. And, and it seems so natural. Like another Another yeah. example of that is when we were talking about Dracula, and I think it was the halfway to Halloween, yeah, yeah. the original Dracula, yeah. and how we now associate spiders and yeah. bats at, yep. to Halloween, and that's just because they put that in yeah, the those, Dracula those, those film. Those are directors or, or production what, designers. Yeah, like that's they, what they haunted thought, the castle. They thought, you know you know what's scary? People hate spiders. Let's, yeah. put, let's put spider webs so, everywhere. So now you can and buy so a 50-foot animatronic spider from yep. Spirit. Yep. You know, it's just little things that are of influence, mm-hmm. uh, specifically to our to what we do in this industry, I think are really important to acknowledge because again, you can sit here and use it every day yeah. and you can think that you're doing cool shit with it, but yeah. it's, dude, this is from the night. It's a hundred and some years old, bro. Know, it's right? 120 like, years it's, old. It's been done before. Let's get out of here. <laughs> oh man. Um, so I do want to move in. I, those are awesome examples. I want to move into like the birth of the montage, yeah. now, which is like that Soviet montage theory. Yeah. And montage is, as it's like, not like, think about it today. It's not like a, se- a series of these shots. Like going to do a montage. Yeah. Montage. It's not the, Rocky. But the, the montage is essentially editing, and the montage Correct. theory is is the... It's a cut. Yeah. It's montage a cut. Theory is cut and it, it's montage, multiple cuts. It's multiple cuts and uh, studying the emotional effect that placing those cuts next to each other. Have. So up to this point, 
films were just that static camera. Yeah, just those no wide movement, shots. Kind of just on a stage at the theater yep. stage. We had with the great train robbery, you know, yep. we went outside a little bit. We were on location. We're doing those things. But this was like the first time that we realized that uh, audience reactions from different camera angles and yes. different cuts and what those can mean, right? Yeah. Do you want to talk about that yeah. uh, specific example? Yeah. So this came from, there's a guy named Lev Kuleshov. Kuleshov. Uh, Kuleshov. Coolish shop. Thanks, man. Um, but he, so his his theory, he theorized that there was a mental phenomenon by which viewers would derive like more meaning from the interaction of two shots. So placing shots next to each other this than is from so a single shot. It really is. And so he he did this experiment, and I saw this in film school. And I and talking about when we said we were gonna do this episode, I went back and kind of like reread upon this stuff, and it is so so interesting. Yeah, so is. he did this experiment, and we'll we'll link this in in the description because it's on YouTube. And actually, other people I saw other people have done their own. Oh, that's like cool. within just the past couple years like done their own versions of these experiments yeah. and it still it still works so basically what it was they showed this expressionless actor just like to completely like blank face and then after that they put different images so things like you know, we'd see this guy or actually i think the images came first and then the guy so it'd be like a bowl of soup and then this guy and then they'd show the, a little girl, a girl in a, in a coffin. coffin. Yeah, a girl in a yeah, coffin. And they'd show this guy. Terrifying. And then, like, a beautiful woman, like, kind of, like, strewn across the couch. And the idea was, and, and he showed this to an audience, and they perceived this guy. So it was the same exact shot. Same exact, same exact shot. shot. They perceived. Of a pretty emotionless face. Very emotionless. They perceived different emotions in his face depending on what shot came before it. Yes. So he's looking at the soup and then they see the guy like, oh, he's hungry. Um, or they right. show the dead girl and then they show the guy and he's like, oh, he's sad. They show the beautiful woman and then him, oh, he, oh he's, 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 horned, he's, he's horned up. Yeah, <laughs> horned up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you know. So, but it's, it's it's such a fascinating and like we we understand that maybe maybe if not implicitly, like most people understand that's what's going on with editing these days. Like that's the main use of it. I think your mind just automatically does your, that. Now. Your brain, your brain yeah. just just yeah grabs onto yeah. it for how, sure. How fun was that to dissect that and he yeah. to, to be I mean, able he, to? He came up with it. Like this dude yeah. invented it. Like yeah. like that's so wild to think about. Well, and what it does is it doesn't just create editing in a montage, right? And and create all these cool different scenarios of filmmaking. Uh -huh. It creates emotion. Yeah, it right? creates emotion. Which ends and up being the most important thing in filmmaking. Of a filmmaking, right? Yeah. So then, after emotion, now we can finally evoke some emotion, and we can kind of almost control yeah. how this emotion is exaggerated onto our audience. And then we can move into story, yeah, and well, sound. Well, not quite yet, yeah, but yeah, it sounds still a little bit off. But yeah. but one of the one of the other really really cool things that this did is it turned filmmaking into its own independent art form because it turns yeah. out like this is the only this is the only art form you can do this thing in which is which is editing it's the only place you can do this kind of stuff and so that means film is an art form of its own which is extremely important i mean you know and like things definitely progress that way like films are films you know right people know that films aren't also paintings you know films or are, photography or photography like films are films and and that's just that's very important for the for the evolution of of, of cinema in general totally agree with yeah, you it's still known as the kuleshov effect today yeah, yeah. literally and i it's, mean for people that know who he is it's too bad that not enough people know who he is but you wouldn't have your marvel films without him no absolutely <laughs> well you wouldn't have any film and, yeah. i mean you would be watching people riding bikes and juggling yeah it's like how i'm not gonna watch this lady on this horse for this long <laughs> yeah, no. um, two and a half hours of a lady on a horse <laughs> <laughs> right i think that's important to talk about too how as we move on here we're moving and progressing through the years obviously we're on a timeline but 
And a time limit. <laughs> and a time limit. Absolutely, we are. But I do think it's important to just notice, and even looking at our notes here, how much each influences each other. Oh, yeah. Because without the other, it's like a, it's a stepping stone. Yeah, right? it's, it's, it's progress. Yeah, yeah, it's such a yeah, awesome, these things don't so happen. great. These things don't happen in a vacuum. Yeah, one guy yeah. has to come up with something or, or woman, and then another person looks at that and goes, oh, yeah, um, I can improve on that, which is literally, that's actually works really well because the next kind of like major milestone is this guy named Sergei Eisenstein, yeah, Eisenstein, who I actually, when I first, when I was first learning about um, the the beginnings of editing, I actually thought that he was the guy that kind of invented this yes. and he didn't, but he learned, he went to the school that was started by Lev Kuleshov okay. where he was teaching uh, these film theories. So Sergei Eisenstein, another Russian guy, I mean, part of this is probably because, you know, they're in the same country and he was going to a school. So of course somebody from that school is who was going to, kind of bring it into the mainstream. So it makes it's sense. It's like the 1930s, 1920s era? Um, well, so, Where are you at here? So um, I'm not, I don't know exactly what years he was like going going to this guy's school, but the first movie that that really brought this uh, montage theory. Battleship. Battleship Potemkin. Yeah, dude. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a major one that, you know, everybody watches in film school. Like there's very good I, reasons I did, for I it. I did watch this. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's pretty it's pretty great. And for for being, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but the, the main sequence. Pumpkin wrong, but. <laughs> Pumpkin Odessa or Battleship Battleship Pumpkin. <laughs> yeah. And you know, one of the one of the major scenes in Battleship Potemkin, we'll get to this in a second, is the Odessa Steps. And it's like for for when this is made, which is nineteen twenty five, it's a brutal scene. Uh, it's like believable, right? Yeah, it's believable. Well, and it, I mean it's based off um well Battleship Potemkin is is based off a of, off of a real event, which dramatized is a real life mutiny that happened, I want to say in like nineteen oh seven or something like that. I don't remember exactly, but it was a first step. Uh, towards the Russian Revolution of 1917, so it's based on this real, real mutiny that happened with these with these Russian sailors and stuff like that. So this this main scene, the Odessa Steps massacre, actually did not happen. It turned out I didn't realize that when I was reading up on it literally yesterday. Um, just one line said like, but this actual event didn't it's didn't actually so happen. So believable though. Yeah, it's so believable. So. And we'll we'll link to uh, we'll link uh, the Odessa Steps uh, sequence. It's a long movie. It's like a it's like a two, two and a half, half three hour yeah. long movie, something like that. But we'll link the uh, the step sequence in, in the notes below. So it didn't actually happen, but what it did. So it like, starts as all these protesters, these uh, revolters, I guess, on on the Odessa Steps, which is a real place. And um, the the Russian government sends in these troops to disperse them. They end up just slaughtering them all. the The main scene is the panic when that starts happening. They're like running upstairs yeah. and like they're doing all of this crazy stuff yes. moving really fast yeah and it's very chaotic it's very chaotic and, it, and there's like a static shot of that chaos it's kind of like almost like, almost like a wide of titanic when mm -hmm. everyone's running and sliding and doing all that scary stuff mm -hmm. it's like that is only impactful for so long right but i think i know what you're about to say with the yeah. film technique that he used yep and so so very much relating directly to the kulachov stuff there's a, a couple of shots yeah. like there's a little boy that gets like knocked down oh, and he's oh all gosh. bloody yeah. and then it goes to this really close-up shot of i can't remember if it's a man or woman a person's face and they're like screaming like no and it cuts back and forth Without this montage theory, you don't get it's that no that little that little narrative yeah. that like that's probably their son, right? You know, is going on and he's dead and they're upset about it. There is these and then to create the panic that you're talking about, like well, shots of feet running yeah. up and down the steps, like people yeah. just falling over into frame. You're gathering information and you're also feeling the chaos, right? Yeah, so yeah. You're, you're feeling the emotion that the Soviet montage theory started. This is provoking. He's yeah. putting story and yep. like emotion, more emotion and more so, meaning into it. Yeah. It's so amazing. now you have, because before you had just like this, this theory and now you have it put into a narrative effect. Right. And, and there's so, just so many angles that are hitting you now. Mm -hmm, right. Yeah. Yeah. You've been, been watching this movie, you understand the narrative and now the emotional arc is at this point and, 
And it's able to, because of, because of editing, evoke these emotions that otherwise you wouldn't be able to in a narrative story. Absolutely. So it's like this payoff for everything you've been kind of like learning about over the past, you know, two hours or whatever. I can't remember exactly when this comes in the movie. Yep. Um, there's also this shot of uh, a baby carriage, like bunk, bunk, bunk down the steps. And it's, it's really funny. So it, it's a very important um, scene for understanding just the evolution of filmmaking and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's such, it's such a major part of film history and understanding how narratives work. It actually inspired, if, if you've seen, I want to say his 1987 movie, The Untouchables with Kevin Costner yep. and Robert De Niro. So they, there's this one scene where they're, they're going to a train station to, to find somebody they want to arrest or whatever. And they, they ran out of money. And the the writer David Mamet was dude more Brian De Palma for more me. Brian De Palma. I've, I'm on a such <laughs> you, a Brian De Palma God, kick are. right now. I love him. Such an he, 80s thing. He's I love great. It. Yeah. And so the writer David Mamet, he was busy working on something else. And so he's like, I, I don't have time to write something new for this train station because they didn't have like I said they ran out of money, and so they needed to come up with something new because they had this big set piece at this train station. And Brian De Palma was like, I know what to do. He's like, give me a set of steps, give me a baby carriage, give me a clock. And I'll, I'll make you this scene. And he does. And when you look at it, it feels like a very big scene. When you look at it, it's shot in like a 20 square foot area with just these steps. It's like constant shots of clocks and close-ups of faces. And it's all done in slow motion. And it works so well, but you can tell it, it you, you can't tell it was done on the cheap, but if you're looking at it going like, there's not a ton of elements this? in this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so, so he basically redid the Odessa step sequence to the point of, you know, as they're, as they're coming into this train station, there's a train pulling up with a bunch of Navy guys leaving. And so there's Navy guys on the steps that are getting caught in crossfire. Oh yeah. yeah. Just like in just Battleship like, Potemkin. Okay. There's also one of the major uh, parts of it is a baby carriage that's falling down the steps as the shootout's going on literally from Battleship Potemkin. How cool is so that? It's really, really cool. And I didn't even really, I, I've been a, you know, a big Brian De Palma fan for a long time. Untouchables was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. And I've known about uh, Battleship Potemkin and Odessa Steps since film school. I never linked those two up. That's and amazing. And then as soon as, as soon as I read about that, I was You're like, like, holy shit. shit. That's ex I probably literally said those words. I'm like, yeah. I can't believe that. And like, I love that. It's so obvious. And it was, it was a very, very cool moment for me. And also just seeing the way a master filmmaker like Brian De Palma can yeah. operate. That's awesome. able to do something like that. Well, I know you're a De Palma fan. What? Uh, and, <laughs> and I know you're on this role. I will say one thing really quick on, on to that point and with that influence and how the Odessa Steps Massacre sequence uh, influenced the train scene and the Untouchables. When you watch Pearl. Okay. Uh, think about a movie from when you were watched as you were a kid. Okay. And just look at the shots and the vibrant colors, the, uh, all better. I already know. Actually. I'm sure you do. I, I'm not going to say it because yeah, I'm sure you um, do, but I, I feel, I feel like I've tried not yeah. to like pay much, too much attention to uh, people talking about Pearl because I haven't seen it yet, but there's, a, there's definitely been like a title that's jumped yeah. out that I've kind of been in my periphery. Scarecrow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but no, I, I think that's super important. So I kind of challenge you to, to check that out. I, will, I totally And that will. influence. Cause I'll Ty think West about it with kind of like that, that with that frame, mindset. That yeah, work, yeah, because Ty West is totally doing that with movies that he is. That's cool. I That's just awesome. love this build, right? Yeah. Uh, in business, I always think, and this could be a good segue for what I'm going to go into with the golden era and mm -hmm. stuff, but I feel like in business, anytime you do something, it never can be a lateral move. It always has to be a step up, right? You always have to step up. Without these people, there would be no ladder in general. So, no, Oh, that's a good way to put it. That's none of us could step up. 100% true. Right. The battleship uh, Potemkin in 1925. I just want to jump up a few years to 1927 because... 
with that scene, with mm-hmm. that massacre scene and how influential that was, two years later, we get the jazz singer. Oh, yeah. Uh, and big what deal. That, big deal. It was. It was a big deal. I remember Change, what, changes cinema forever. That's what I've heard. Yeah. And that's what I watched in college. I haven't seen it again since then in film school. But, you know, it was this full thing of mixing the plot with the storyboard. Mm-hmm. And then we got vocals. And yeah. then we got music. Yeah. For, oh, for, we get first sync sound. Yeah, first in a, sync in a, sound. In a, in a film. And it's a song. He's, uh, he's playing a song on a piano to his mother, I think. Yeah, he's kind of tap dances and dances too and does the whole thing like there's like a big jazz performance but it's yeah it's this whole like experience and it was the first time it had ever been done and what did that do besides i mean have you seen a movie since 1927 without audio i know i have i don't think i have (laughs) it adds a whole uh new dimension to film just just like editing did sure uh suddenly you can have dialogue you can have people speaking yeah and i mean you know dialogue writing is a whole art form unto itself i mean before you know you had the title cards like all savor savor, there is a fire yeah exactly and then so suddenly you have people can actually like express themselves through dialogue you can have a lot more of it because if you you have a lot of dialogue in a silent film it's just all title cards right but (laughs) exactly but isn't it funny how they kind of almost worked backwards yeah Uh, you know you'd almost think that you need sound and vocals to evoke the emotion and they didn't have audio yet and that's why audio is so important that is really interesting I didn't thought thought about that because it is really interesting that they came up with something as complex as As editing and montaging before going like how about sound sound being a thing that they had already figured out correct before film why haven't we seen that that's a really good you know i had never thought about that but that's actually a really good yeah thought. as i sit here and look at it on the timeline yeah. i'm like what i was like yeah, that the just fact seems... the sound evolved after correct and i can yeah. tell you that's not how you make a film today yeah you don't do sound last no <laughs> no <laughs> well well in, unless you have terrible like yeah. content audio and have to yeah. unless you everything. have yeah I've, I've seen those movies where you can tell the entire film is dubbed dubbed yeah. yeah i mean there's there's obviously times for audio later but yeah uh, my point is is that is just such a backwards timeline yeah really i think it's i think it's super interesting that really is interesting so around this time you're getting like the big five right you're getting like mgm paramount rko uh warner brothers and 20th century fox yep. it's the big studios now we're moving into like this golden era which is like the 50s it's like yeah. the Hollywood. Because when you get things da, like da, Citizen da, Kane, da. you get I mean, you get these big monopolies. Essentially, is what they yeah. turn into, right? Well, yeah, because they're they these studios. They they produce the movies, yes. and then they also distribute. They had their own theaters, yes, and so they controlled a product everything from beginning to end, right? And we'll get into that a little bit later. But you still have, I mean, besides RKO, R- so R- RKO is the studio that produced uh, Citizen Kane. Okay. Um, so it was, it was a big deal at the time. I Googled they're... RKO and it came up with Randy Orton, who is a professional wrestler. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I don't, I don't I, think, I don't I think that's uh... RKO studios. Uh, RKO studios is defunct. It was defunct on March 7th in 1959. Yeah. So Citizen Kane was 1941. Oh, King yeah. Kong was 33. Cat People 42. Top Hat 35. So you get these like classic yeah, yeah. Uh, King Kong, those types of films. Yeah. It was founded by David Sarnoff. Um, a, qu- a quick aside. In 28. One quick aside, something that I really love, the RKO um, title card when it comes up, it's like the planet Earth and you have like this big like radio tower on top of it. Mm-hmm. That radio tower is the one that was on the mountain above the Hollywood sign. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah that's pretty cool. No, that's super interesting. But they are defunct. That's been 63 years now. Yeah. So they actually were defunct in 59, which tells me 
that I'm guessing this has to do with the Paramount case. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the Paramount case I at am. all? Yeah. Okay, so kind of just getting into like the business side of things. There was this rule of no block booking, which is exactly what you were just talking about. It is where these uh, studios, they controlled everything. Yeah, it was a, mon- uh, from it was a monopoly. Start- it was a monopoly. Yeah. So it was from start to finish. They had full control over everything. Mm-hmm. So the business models had to change, otherwise the studio system would fail. So the golden age of film was now dead. The golden age died right after yeah. they got rid of the block booking because studios had developed a way to create these films and fund them all the way through. And now they have to like, you know, get outside resources. It's not this circle of life that happens anymore within a monopoly, right? Uh, Your money just doesn't circulate as well. Right. And some of those theaters are still out there. When I was a kid, my, my own town had a Paramount theater. I used to go to Paramount Kings Island. They owned theme parks oh, uh, right. Cedar, oh, yeah. they, before Cedar Fair bought them right, uh, right. or when Cedar Fair bought them, they were owned by, before Cedar Fair bought them, sorry, they were owned by Paramount. So you could go and ride the Italian job stunt coaster and oh, go seriously? check out the Murph Mobile in Ohio. Yeah, swear oh. to God, it was the sickest shit ever. I, did, I didn't know that. Yeah, super <laughs> fun. I have another podcast about theme parks if you guys want to give it a listen. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> the no block booking changed the rules a ton. Uh, at this point, that money couldn't recirculate within those companies. And yes, they had to figure out ways to reorganize the businesses and models and, and keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, putting RKO down, we just realized. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> here's my question for you. Yes. We're kind of ending. We said we didn't at the start around the 70s. This is almost, this is about the 60s. Yeah. I'm going to jump forward to like 2010. Okay. Isn't that when Netflix started? You could start streaming? Yeah, it was right around then. I remember, Somewhere around I, remember early. I, was get, I was getting discs from them uh, like around the 2006, yeah. 2007. And you could still do and then, disc and streaming. Yeah. And then that's when I got up my. PS3, and that was Correct. the first one. So back then they would send you, when you wanted streaming, they'd send you a disc. You had to actually insert the disc right. for Netflix. Like DVD, to, right? To be able to stream Oh, yeah. Oh, like that was your like, yeah, yeah, that was your key to be able to stream stuff. So it was was actually an actual disc. That seems so weird. I know, right? It's like, seems like a not like a money saver. Well, what's funny too is that like that doesn't feel that long ago, but when you actually count up the years, that was like nearly 20 years ago. Well, yeah. I said 2000 and it was yeah 2000 and so it was like it was like 2007 2008 when you could start streaming yeah, that's stuff. true and yeah. so it's almost 20 years so 12 yeah like 15 ish years now yeah so let me ask you this okay so you've had netflix for how long since then since then yeah okay so you're pushing 15 16 years holy shit yeah isn't that crazy yeah that is wild because it just seems like streaming kind of just started mm-hmm. it seems like that because everyone's doing it now but yep. so with streaming now with netflix that you've been paying for for a monthly basis or an annual basis mm-hmm. for that long they have a production company, Netflix production yep. company. They started probably within the last five to six years. Well, their right? first show, their first show the first was House of Cards. House of Cards, um, which it. was in like so, oh, no two thousand and uh, I want to say like thirteen. And so now you're pushing nine years with as their own production company. Yep. Okay, yeah, and, and expanding greatly. I mean, like the amount of correct. I, I actually read something this morning about the amount, something like over like eleven hundred hours of original content that Netflix has produced that, yes. a year, this, right. this year specifically. And so that at that point is its own production company, yes. right? Okay, so, so they're their own studio. Okay, yeah, that's what I'm getting right. at. This yeah. is kind of why I'm circling back. So we have our own production company, we have our own studio, and we have our own platform that it can be exclusively on. Mm-hmm. Does that sound like block booking? It does a little. Well, and they're not the only ones doing it either. I don't care. Either. No, I'm saying I don't yeah. care. Yeah. And you brought up a good point. We were kind of talking about this before we went 
uh, live here, you said, I feel like they don't look at that like they used yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, things have changed, obviously. The American government doesn't treat monopolies the way they used You're to. I mean, money totally is right. such a massive influence. Mm-hmm. And, and the words I believe you said were money always wins. Yes. And that's especially true when it comes to, to capitalism, where the most money is. They have the money. They can lobby politicians yeah. for laws they want. And so... You know, the more money that that these groups make, the more money they can give to lawmakers to right. help them keep on making more money, so they can give more money to the lawmakers. Exactly. So, so it's yeah. just this. It's, so it's monopoly within itself, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, do you think that? And this is something I just thought about. Do you think that if, um, say, you know, say the government comes down and says, okay, like these are monopolies, just like it was back in the in the golden era, um, where you guys are producing and distributing your own stuff, like that's not okay. Um, do you think things would be better if they had to separate those? Yeah. So if there was uh, a, a you know a few few different platforms to deliver the content and that but they're made independent of that, do you think that'd make things better? I don't think so at this point because there's so much freaking clutter. Yeah. There are so many streaming services. There's so many there's monthly so much stuff fees. On every there's so one. much crap that you can get on a streaming. Ser- it used to be like special when you got on a streaming service, and now like oh, yeah. like we were looking at putting Jump Seat on Amazon Shorts. Yeah. And I think that it that would do better and be more successful on YouTube. Yep, it would. And that's what we decided. It would. Has, YouTube has a, has a wider reach. It does. And yeah. it's just, there's nothing, that used to be so exclusive and now it's not. I just wanted to circle back because I thought that was so interesting. It is, so it so is. to answer your question, I don't think that is the right answer either. I yeah. don't think it would. Yeah. Um, I think what we've kind of shaped this and formed this ourselves mm-hmm. and we realize what's working and what's not. And when something good comes along, the example being, I don't have to order a Netflix DVD and wait for it for four days in the right. mail. I can just click play. Right. Like that's a big change. Yeah. But with that comes these 20 some year or, you know, now nine to 10, 15 years of repercussion. Right. Yeah. And I think when you start adding like, cool, we don't have cable anymore. Hell, we're not paying for that hundred bucks a month yeah. anymore. Dude, look at your sub. Bill. Guess what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. I, I added look them up at, the other yeah. day and how much I'm spending for all yeah. these individual services. And there's so many, there's a ton of them. When there's other places that are doing bundles of streaming channels, yeah, places like uh, Hulu and it's Disney, Disney plus and ESPN plus. Yeah. They're well, all owned by Disney. And yep. so they offer those as a bundle. Correct. So, so again, to our point, the subscription process is uh, again evolving. Yeah, it's crazy. It, history is a uh, uh, cyclical. You know, cyclical. we're we're kind of we're sending sick. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I this has been so fun. Yeah, so glad cool. we finally got this done. We've been talking about doing this episode now for like three or four months, yeah. and I feel bad. It also kind of like reinvigorated some of my like creative yeah. sensibilities. It's totally, like, like looking at these old techniques and what they did with so little, yeah. and what they just came up with and made up with. Yeah. Like, I, I kind of liked the the homework assignment. Yeah, so uh, you know, a, a major thing that's been going on is we finally have kind of reached the end of our our journey with with Jump Seat. Last week, we uh, finally put it out online on YouTube to watch, and we'll link that in the description so you guys can finally see that since you've heard us talk about it nonstop. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll, it's the first link in the description. Yeah, it'll be the first link in the description. Jump Seat is out. It ran its course. Like we're putting it into the wild now, and it's, we talked about a feature idea uh, for Jump Seat in we LA it was, last it was actually week, pretty, and it was pretty actually cool a really good idea. It's, it's stuck in my head a little bit for sure. Good. Yeah. yeah. I think there's some. I still think there's room with for a feature there. Oh, there's there's definitely there's definitely a feature um, yeah. possibility with jump seat. It's not going to be the next thing, but um, unless somebody sees it and they're like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. Like we want to make no, some. That's probably not going to happen. No. But you know, um, but yeah, our, our journey with with the short version of jump seat is over. It's out go in the wild. It. Yeah, go go watch it. You know, let us know if you liked it, or even let us let us know if you didn't like it. Honestly, yeah, tell us actually if it sucked. Yeah, yeah, it's, on, get, it's getting good reviews. It's also I've heard different things. Yeah, so it's all it's all good. Yeah. I love it. Um, 
Let's outro this baby. Yeah. And so the, the other thing that's going on and I'm just going to say it, uh, this is going to be my last uh, episode of the take 43 podcast. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bummer. I I am actually sad about it. This is not, uh, not something that I do lightly and, and not, not for any reason other than look, uh, the amount of time we have on earth is limited, right? You know, uh, and, and now more than ever, there's a million things going on with everybody. And I felt like it was, it was important that I take some time off to work on my Yankee candle reselling business. <laughs> you fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, for, for, I, I am leaving. Uh, but uh. but the, the reason is, is limited amount of time. And I've decided that it was important for me to refocus my time on on some of my other stuff, ma- mainly being being filmmaking as well as as career and life in general and stuff like that. And so it, it just became clear to me that that I needed to use this time for other things. I love the show. I'll be a fan of the show when I'm not on it. If you ever want me to, you know, come back and help, you know, uh, co-host. Wait. Uh, so you. So this has been our show. Yeah. Are you Are you giving me the show? The show's yours, man. It, right. this, is, this is the Drew Show now. Fuck um, no, it's not called the Drew Show. <laughs> <laughs> the Drew Show with Drew. Man, I'll be honest. Uh, I hate it, and um, I. But at the same time, I completely, and I really do, and I say okay. this like from the bottom of my heart. I completely understand put, wanting to put your focus in other places. Well, I, I really do appreciate um, that. I really, I do understand it. Um, so there's a level of sadness and a little bit of like, I wouldn't say disappointment, but I guess surprise. Yeah. Um, but I I, I think both those things can apply. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think that you have to do you, people have to do what's best for them. Everybody everybody has their own roots. And that means probably no one's going to listen anymore because everyone loved you, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's sarcasm. (laughs) No, I'm, I, I, I am even, even though I'm the one that's going, I I am very sad about this. Also, this has been a ton of fun. I've really enjoyed it. You know, I'm, I'm I'm not gone. Just, you know, I'm still on the fringes of this whole thing. And like I said, if I ever, you know, get the invitation to come back and help with a particular episode or interview or something like that, or come on as a guest even, or whatever. Yeah. Like I'm happy to come, come do that. I have you on the next guest. Like (laughs) next episode. We have our guest, Eric. (laughs) Damn. Jump seat. It's only, it's really all he's, it's really all he's got. I'm really a one trick pony. (laughs) (laughs) That, that trick of jump seat. (laughs) No, man, I, I I, I love this show. I love doing it. I love what we talk about. Um, I I love the time that we get together and do these recordings. Like we always have so much fun. I mean, here in, here in uh, your garage, (laughs) it's, it's a studio. It's a studio. (laughs) Uh, this is episode 42. Episode 43 will be the first one without you. Uh, the good news is, is uh, we're still homies. So yeah, we're still, uh, still bros. Aaron's gonna, everyone's gonna go start writing so I can make his his next film. Yeah, plan. see, th- this will be beneficial for you too because I'll, I'm uh, clearing out some room in my brain. Yeah, that I can, uh, that I can now focus on actually getting some fucking writing done. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> because I've been having, uh, you know, so before I was writing a brand new script. Uh, from the ground up and that just turned out to be it was going to be a really big thing a lot of work and something that probably was a little too ambitious for for our first film yeah so i went back to one of my older screenplays and and i'm going to rewrite that and i think we're going to do that but it's been so hard for me to turn my brain into writing mode lately um you go through these phases with everything yeah well and it's just and this is not the only thing that i'm doing this with i'm kind of like i'm kind of trimming down things in my life so the things that i really want to focus on i have more 
time and effort and space to focus on those things, if that makes sense. I, I, yeah. I do. It's good that you can do that. Yeah. It sucks that this is what you kicked out, I but, but um, it's good that you have discipline and can do that. As far as the future of this show, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to have guests on. Great. We're going to keep doing the damn thing. And uh, I'm glad. I would, I would hate it if you stopped because I yeah. left. There's nothing negative about this. This is purely a, like a life improvement sort of effort from me. Um, Drew and I do not dislike each other. We're still buds. <laughs> We're still bros. That's true. Um, I love this show. I, don't, I do not regret doing it in the first place. I've had a, the best time doing it. I've loved hearing from our listeners. I hope that listeners uh, stick around. Yeah, I, you, you're, you should. You're, yeah. a, you're an awesome awesome part of this show oh, thanks, so man. i don't I, again i don't know what the future holds and i don't want to keep bogging down everyone's time yeah. but i uh i will see you soon or i yep. you will hear me soon maybe you'll see me soon maybe yeah. we'll do video podcasts oh, there you go who knows yeah. i don't know yeah, nobody knows. all i know is uh every structure is happening and stay close stay tuned jack please oh. You're walking, just have you been talking to the ghost of Smokey Joe?